The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. With blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar. Discover legendary tastes with America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? When I do Paul accent, I talk like this. I'm up top like this. It's a bibbidi bop. I write a song. It's bibbidi dub. I take little noises. I put it in the song. But the okay. John Lennon is down like this. John Lennon's like, hey, look, Yoko, I bought a new shirt today. It's from Target. And she's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> it is a funny joke. Beautiful impressions. Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks. Hello. All right, we got, uh, I guess, British. Is that right? Henry Zabrowski over there? I'm from Liverpool. <laughs> I try to keep it down low like this. It's a sing-songy voice, and you write like this, and a little bit of a dip, and a little bit of a top. <laughs> oh, my God. Try That's not it. to move your head with that. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to grasp how to be a better performer. <laughs> You're like crushing it. And I sat and I listened to John Lennon speak a little bit just to try to get it. And I know that if I just actually tried, maybe I could do it. Yeah, let, let me try. Yeah. Well, the thing about the Beatles is that nobody ever thought that they'd really get this big. I don't know what the hell's going on, but I like it. I think that's close. <laughs> that, was, that was good. That was good. All right, we're on to part two of this maniac, this Mark David Chapman character. Uh, we got a lot more to discuss here, and uh, the little folks, I guess, are, are coming back, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So when we last left Mark David Chapman, he had developed a drinking habit, was deeply <laughs> in debt, and his mental health was rapidly deteriorating. I do like the idea of developing a drinking habit like you're the scientist <laughs> inventing flubber in the basement. Just be like, not now, honey. I'm inventing, I'm developing a drinking habit. Be like, you're just slamming beers. Yes, that is correct. Uh, with Mark David Chapman, too, what I like is when people write about him in general, they always do the zip, zap, zop of like, he started work as a security guard, and then he found Catcher in the Rye, and then he read a book about John Lennon, and yippity-dip, he went and he murdered John Lennon. But right. you, um, they negate the fact that he became a shuffling, muttering, crazy person. Like, mm. he became a street person, like, in a second. I mean, he still had a house and a wife and shit, but at the time, it was like he was going on autopilot into Cuckoo Bananas Town, and everyone was watching him descend. All right. Well, not all the time, though, because he could compartmentalize it. Like, he would, he kept going back and forth mm. between being that stre- shambling street person and then snapping back into him. It was like, all right, time to go to work. Best of both worlds. Yeah, but a part of, the part of that was Helping him tighten his bootlaces was the two buds he was having in a brown bag before going to work. You gotta <laughs> that's, stop that's the shaking somehow. <laughs> well, about the time that his mental health started going downhill, that's when Mark David Chapman's 
Childhood imaginary friends, the little people return. Not good news. <laughs> I love the little because people. The last time he made them up, these time, this time, they just like showed up. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. They came back to haunt him. Yeah, the last time it was like, okay, I'm going to create these little people, this monarchy, so uh-huh. I can feel better about myself. But this time it's just like, hey, Mark. Uh oh. Describe this, Marcus. It's kind of it's weird. Obviously. Well, the- obviously it's very fucking. Yeah, weird. the little he's people have showed up. He's very, yes. he's demented. Human the little being. folks are back. Well, the arrangement between Mark and the little people, it was no longer a monarchy. <laughs> the little people had grown up, put on three-piece suits, oh, no. and had evolved into a democracy complete with cabinet positions. Oh, my God. Well, it's all very similar to what happened with fucking, uh, with our last trip with Nicholas uh, and with the creation of the Duma. Basically, what happens is that he was an autocrat, <laughs> and he had total control, and he had a lot of fun, but all of a sudden, these very serious little people show up in suits huh. and he has to negotiate with them in order to get shit done which you find out is very difficult especially when you're used to being an autocrat yeah absolutely was there a little person president well there was one uh, specifically uh, loyal little person named Robert who used to take Mark David Chapman aside and kind of do one on one diplomacy with him okay <laughs> makes all the sense in the world no way is this guy off his rocker But no, well, seriously, he sat down with his wife, Gloria, and she came in and she's like, Mark, we're spending a lot of money. You're buying first class tickets to these weird little vacations. You're just blowing money on all of these horseshit, your weird art collections. Because that was the thing during this time period. He became an art collector and he started buying, borrowing money from his family in order to buy pieces of art that he thought he could flip for more money. And he's like, I know I got the touch. I've seen Antiques Roadshow and they all talk like me. That was... Um, but it turns out he's not a good businessman and did not know how to flip art. I mean, to be fair, though, that's that's a crucial part of investing for the 70s, 80s, 90s, and up to the early 2000s. Beanie Babies, uh, Hummels. <laughs> My mom went Hummel crazy. She's like, I'm going to flip this for $10,000. No one wants them. Never did it. No one can flip a Hummel. Hummels are, are only are passed down by death. Yes. They only move from one curio cabinet to the next yes. because grandma died. That was the only thing um, I could never but- touch in the house was the little people Hummels and it's like what's the point yeah, of these things? I can't imagine you next to all those fragile little boys and little girls with their overalls and their fishing poles. Yeah. They're so delicate. They were. But he, Gloria walks in the, in the kitchen and he's like don't worry I got everything figured out. The little people are back and they're gonna help us figure out everything and she's just like Okay. <laughs> Every wife's dream. I will say Gloria Chapman has to be, I mean, she's up there with Jerry, Jerry Brudos's wife as far as being understanding. Oh, wow. I think that's the term. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. She was also sort of kept as a, a, a vaguely like a hostage. Yeah. She was both scared and a, a adoring of, of Mark. So Chapman, I mean, he is drowning in debt from, because he's buying dollies, he's buying <laughs> Picassos, well, uh, like, quote-unquote dollies and quote-unquote Picassos. Right. So Chapman... He bought a dolly... Uh, Dolly used to have these these little like signs on his desk that said Salvador Dali, and he bought one of those oh. for five thousand dollars. Authentic, <laughs> authentic. Who doesn't like a placard? <laughs> so Chapman put the little people in charge of Operation Freedom from Debt. <laughs> oh, now what is this operation all about? 
freedom from debt. Oh, makes sense. <laughs> and but amazingly, through a series of subcommittees, cabinet reviews, and congressional <laughs> hearings, all done by the little people in his brain, it fucking worked. Wow. Okay, this is my problem. No, I love it. The only reason why we think that his budgeting, quote unquote, budgeting system worked is because he said it worked. Yeah. I think that if you cut to him just being like going up to Glory, being like, "Don't worry, Gloria, I got it all figured out," and shows the budget, and it's just a picture of Bugs Bunny sucking his own dick, <laughs> and then she's just like, "Well, I sure hope so, Mark. I sure hope so." Well, now, that, now that's a piece of art a lot of folks would buy. <laughs> well, I do think it actually did work out because I think Gloria did say that it did work out, and as we'll see later, he had a lot of money to take care of uh, certain missions that he had in mind. Okay, thank he you, little people. Well, the thing was about all of this is that the little people didn't actually seem to be the problem. Hmm. So Mark David Chapman's depression had returned, and with it came an obsessive nature that only grew as time went on. Chapman also decided to start becoming what we would call a professional pain in the ass to oh. the people in Hawaii. Yeah, he became... A real George Costanza. Uh-oh. <laughs> like, immediately. He called in bomb threats. Like, he was doing... Every time he saw something he didn't like, he'd call it a bomb threat. He was just making late-night phone calls, doing the thing, calling, being like, your refrigerator's running, you better go catch it. And then, like, like, again and again. Yeah, he'd send pizzas to his former landlord because he didn't like his former landlord, so he'd send him, like, 5, 10, 20 pizzas every single uh, night. And then, theoretically, the landlord has to pay for it. Theoretically. Because otherwise, it's just a gift. <laughs> mm. But also, this is all, this is like two landlords ago. Right, right. the man he didn't like. He is very sick. I mean, and if the little people aren't the problem, that's a problem. Right. Like, if that's really not the main source right. of, hey, let's talk to a doctor, I am talking to men in suits. Like it's a scene from Doctor Strangelove, <laughs> and then I uh, and, and but the, but you know that's only my secondary problem. Hmm. <laughs> and how old are we talking here? Is he twenty five? Twenty five. Okay. Yeah, he's twenty five. But I mean, the phone calls he made, like they weren't just like the like little innocent, you know, annoying type things. Like he started making death threats to a TV repairman who once treated him rudely. <laughs> <laughs> that is the last thing a TV repairman needs. Yeah, it's already yes. a tough enough life. Everyone's breaking their TVs. <laughs> Yeah, he'd even like stand at his apartment window and call the payphone across the street. And when the stranger would answer, he'd say, I'm watching you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to follow you home and kill you. Never answer a payphone. <laughs> Who answers a payphone? Oh, random ringing phone. I better pick it up. It might be for me. Who are you? Why would it be for you? The problem is at the time, people were hitching all the time. Everybody was a bus. <laughs> you, could grab on a, you could grab onto a bike when someone goes past, and you could sit on the back of the seat, and it was totally normal. It was fine. And the, the, matrix, the matrix didn't happen yet. It didn't exist yet. So they didn't know that sometimes the payphone just randomly ringing. If you pick it up right. and answer it, you get zapped into the fucking Matrix. Oh, I see. Yeah, just a bunch of Marty McFly's there hitching their ride to other cars. <laughs> and then there was the doctor at Chapman's old mental hospital. The doctor hadn't done anything wrong to Chapman, but Chapman still called him to tell him he was going to die while playing a laughing box, which is an old 70s gag, and laughing boxes sound like this. <laughs> I don't like it. 
It's like you, Marcus. <laughs> Man, as a matter of fact, that wasn't a laughing box. That was actual audio of Marcus getting a colonoscopy. And the doctors, they were horrified, terrified, but it has come back. And, and everything's okay. All right. Everything's okay. Yay. I got Marcus the parts. back and everything's okay. Are we going to get the footage of your swollen asshole or not? I have a picture, but it's in black and white, so it doesn't pop, you know? Yeah, uh, right, right, right. <laughs> I can colorize it. We can send it over to Turner Classic Movies. Right, with any luck, they'll think it's the original moon landing. <laughs> well, that was those weren't the only people that Mark David Chapman got into feuds with. He got into a three-week-long encounter <laughs> with the local Harry Krishnas. Oh, man, they have nothing but time. They will always win. <laughs> and that only ended when a neighbor told him that the last guy to mess with the Krishnas got a syringe full of acid in the face. Now, that's also conjecture, and it seems to be a woman was watching him harass the Hari Krishnas. And, you know, when crazy attracts crazy. Yeah. Right. So he's out there yelling at Hari Krishna, being like, "Y'all always dancing. There ain't no music playing. What's so good to feel about y'all dancing? You want to dance like nobody's watching? Well, I'm watching. I'm watching." <laughs> and then all of a sudden, a woman comes out of a store and just like, "Don't talk to these Hari Krishnas. It's bad news. Because when you talk to the Hari Krishnas." They disfigure you. <laughs> they work as a pack. They're like wolves. They smell weakness. And she's being like, oh, so you're crazy, too. <laughs> Any connection there with the George Harrison and uh, becoming a Harry Krishna a little well, bit George later? George Harrison wasn't a Harry Krishna. No, never? No, no, well, no. Who no. was a Harry Krishna? He just None said of them. None of them? No. Yeah. No, no, no. No, George Harrison just, he went to India and he hooked up with the Maharishi. And those are not Harry Krishna. Absolutely not. Different people. <laughs> All right. I do like the idea of a dangerous rogue gang of Harry Krishnas, though. Just pulling off acid for a, for a hot second, for a hot second, George Harrison became an Indian Rachel Dolezal <laughs> for like, for like <laughs> I'd say two or three years. Okay, all he right. became that. I, I was confused. Yeah, and then he came back and put out All Things Must Pass, which is fantastic. All right. It was great. It was worth it. It was worth it. All the work that he did was worth it. Because he came back. He reversed his Rachel Dolezal, which is very difficult right. to do. So Mark David Chapman, he did all of this shit in a specially made t-shirt that said, <laughs> I'm unique. I think for myself. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing says unique and thinking for yourself like a shirt that says that exact thing. He actually went to a printmaker and had them. He came up with the idea for the shirt, uh -huh. thought this is the greatest thing anyone has ever come <laughs> up with. This is going to tell everybody in the world all they need to know about me. Right. He got it made and wore it almost every day. Wow, cool, man. He wore it to the point where it was tattered and brown. He wore it like uh, everywhere he goes, and he made it angrily. Like when he made it, like, I won't. Everybody in the knowing how I dare them, I dare them to laugh at me. And when they uh. did, um, he'd start screaming at him, calling him a phony. Yeah. Oh, I see. It looks like so he's just searching for any kind of identity. He's always Anything. searching for identity. He's uh, he's got that persecution complex is really ramping up. And he's searching for an identity, but he's also poking mm -hmm. at people. You know, like we, he's just poking at people. Right. It's like make me angry, make me. I need it. I need to be angry. I need because that happens with mm -hmm. people a lot. Is uh, with people like this is they need attention, and right. it doesn't matter whether it's good attention or it's bad attention if they. 
feel like a nobody, if they feel like nobody's paying attention, then they'll just start being a pain in the ass. So somebody will feel some emotion towards them. Like what toddlers do, basically. Pretty much. Yep, pretty much. Uh, and what's interesting is that Gloria was there giving him attention, but for some reason he always viewed her as lesser than. He mm-hmm. always viewed her as lesser than his first love, the girl that broke his heart when he was like fucking 12 years old, Lynn. And so he constantly fantasized about this little girl that was supposed to be his one true love and Gloria was just kind of followed him around out of Mm. fear and weird respect and he ignored her entirely. I I gotta say, it's one of those things where you gotta age him as you age, you know, like uh, Britney Spears. <laughs> I really like Britney Spears when uh, when I was when I was fifteen. She was fifteen. Yes, but you can't yes. think about her because uh, now I'm thirty six. Yeah, you can't. Think so I got to think about her twenty one, Britney. <laughs> so you can't. Uh, yeah. That's it. But now we have Instagram, so at least we can see them now. Yes. You know what I mean? So we can actually see that they blossomed and that their breasts are filled. You know what I mean? And, uh, then, and then, then it's legal to be with it. Right, with the right. Of it. That's always a tricky ground there. <laughs> now, phonies was a fairly new word in Chapman's vocabulary, but it would eventually be the most important word in Chapman's life. He'd been reintroduced to it during his quest to read the whole Honolulu library. Wow. So he's yeah. just in there. Is he getting hammered again? Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. He, uh, I mean, it's almost like, you know, when some people are like, you know, like, I only smoke when I drink. Right. It's like, he's like, I only walk around when I drink. <laughs> yeah. And so he got up every day because now he's working for the security guard agency. He, he can do it half lit. Right. And so he would just go AWOL from his job and wander over to the Honolulu library with his, he had his fucking bud in his bag, which he got every single morning, got his big tall boy. He'd walk in there and then he'd walk down the aisles and just pick books. And then his idea was to just read every single wall of book. And he made right. it through all of the mystery section. He did. He read every single one of them. Yeah. And then no one ever really asked, why is the man in the security guard uniform, who is obviously not at work, who's just, who is visibly, visibly hammered. Right. Oh, just reading alone. No one questioned. I guess it's easy going in Hawaii. I, I guess so. It's just, that is one of the strangest parts of this whole thing. He, mm-hmm. he had a thirst for reading, but then he also had a thirst for booze. <laughs> and he was able to really combo those things in a relatively productive way. Yeah, I know what you're saying, Ben. It's like, it's like you know, literature and booze like never go well together. No, because you never mix. No, you just start like <laughs> eating the book at some point. No, I no, know what you're saying. You're like, but he, those are the writers. Like, oh, my imagination, my depression. But like, very, very rarely is the reader the alcoholic. Oh no, I don't know, man. I drink a lot and read. I read Hammered all the time. You? Do you remember what you read if you're Hammered? I can't even remember a movie when I'm Hammered. Sometimes, but that's the fun of reading. Can you imagine if Lavar Burton turned into a mass killer because of reading? I could see it. Reading is too intense. I was playing my video game last night, and I turn around, and Brooke is just bawling, and I'm like, what have I done? You know? And then she said, I'm just reading this book, and it's a, and a sad part. I said, the words are making you cry. Well, we got to do something about them words. <laughs> Get never, them out of oh, here. No. Never had any, what, you've never had words, like, bring emotion to your soul? Hey, man, you know what? As soon as a book is trying to 
Do pry that out of me? <laughs> Who the hell are you? What are you, book? You're a book. I'll shut your... I know how to beat your ass. With Kissel's reading, every word, like, it's like when you throw a rock down a cave to see where the bottom of the cave is when you're spelunking. It's just like that. So by the time the word gets down to the cerebral cortex, it's it, the emotion is gone. Yeah, get out of here. I'll shut you, I'll shut you right up. Necro- Necronomicon, you ain't going to get me, man. So in early 1980, Chapman came across a collection of academic studies about Catcher in the Rye. So Chapman had remembered reading the novel about eight or nine years earlier and remembered liking it, so he figured he'd give it another go. Hmm. Now, while Chapman wasn't quite ready for it the first time around, during his second reading, something clicked in his brain concerning the main character and narrator, (laughs) Holden Caulfield. Hmm. But isn't the irony here that actually the first time he read it, that was the age group that's supposed to enjoy it, and the yes. second time yeah. he's kind of too old for it? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, he was 25, and at right. that age, he found a kindred spirit in this shitty 16-year-old boy wandering the streets of New York City. Like, to, Henry, could you give us like a quick rundown of Catcher in the Rye? Because you're the only one of us who's, who's read it. I went back through it again a little bit. I only made it about halfway through again because... Um, I didn't want to read it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, halfway through, he's like, I've got to kill Justin Bieber. I don't know why, but I just feel like he's not authentic. He's a, he's a phony. No, I'm a, I'm, my problem is, is that it would be like Ed Sheeran, is that I could see myself in a psychotic break, like watching my face mold with Ed Sheeran's face and just being like, God, to kill the problem. God, to kill the problem. Oh, man. I, um, <laughs> but but I, do not mis- I do not mean Ed Sheeran harm. No. He's allowed to walk free. Yes. Uh, but no. Now, Holden Caulfield basically is kicked out of his fancy private school. It's his fourth is he's kicked out. And the book follows a lost weekend in New York of Holden Caulfield wandering around with his thoughts about how everybody's a phony and how he wants to protect the innocence of all children. And so it's him walking around. It's like he sees a sex worker. He asks a cop in Central Park where he can find the ducks because he wants to go walk with the ducks because the ducks are the only thing that are fucking free. He sees another guy who yells at it. Him and he yells at him, calls him a phony. He goes, oh, uh-huh. thing, this guy's a phony. And um, but the problem is, there's a really good uh, at the end of Let Me Take You Down. There's a good breakdown of Holden Caulfield. Where part of it is that when you do reread it, it's it's interesting for someone who like Chapman, who viewed him as this like powerful hero, like viewed him as this sort of like like a saint slash warrior for truth or then when you reread it again it's about a kid that is very deeply depressed and largely suicidal like right. you you read it in the words where it's like someone is a the, the, his pain is very obvious and when you look at it you just see well this is someone who if they live past this point could become a very like effective cool adult because they had this questioning period, but you're not supposed to identify with it now. Right, of course. <laughs> you know, I just hate the idea of someone named Holden Caulfield being my protector. Because I just feel like you would show up and be like, I'm going to save, I have a bone spur. I cannot. Also, we know Holden McNeely. Yeah, I know the name Holden, Holden is Holden like not done. It does not, it's done. It's not synonymous this with like strength or I like, thought about yeah, it I don't, years. Yeah. Yeah. I just think of skin diseases and someone who's slimy to the touch and a guy who just tries to fit his whole fiance's breast in his mouth and she and she's got to get all the spit off of well it. we never know what that's about but holden uh mcneely wizard and the bruiser check that show, Lovely show. Yeah. great show great show great show 
Our other sponsor today is New Belgian Brewery. Introducing New Fat Tire Belgian White, a refreshing New Belgian White Ale brought to you by the 100% employee-owned New Belgian Brewing Company. Fat Tire Belgian White is a new addition to New Belgium's portfolio of easy-drinking Belgian-inspired beers. It joins Fat Tire Belgian-style ale, the classic American craft beer proudly brewed since 1991. Inspired by centuries of Belgian brewing heritage, Fat Tire Belgian White is a refreshing take on the traditional Belgian-style wheat beer. And unlike other Belgian whites, Fat Tire Belgian White is carefully crafted with the finest and freshest Seville orange peel for just the right amount of sweetness. You know, Fat Tire Belgian White would be just about perfect for those hot summer days that are coming up. And you know what? They're great now. Even though it's about 65, 70 degrees outside, have yourself a Belgian White. Go out to your backyard or wherever you may enjoy the outdoors. Crack open a Fat Tire Belgian White and have a good afternoon. So find Fat Tire Belgian White near you by using the Beer Finder link at www.newbelgium.com. That's www.newbelgium.com. Well, really, like the big thing that Chapman took from this book is that this world is filled with phonies and there's nothing worse than being a phony. And the reason why his life sucked was not because of his own flaws, mm. but because of phonies. Ah, oh, always yeah, someone else's it. fault. Okay, cool. Makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Now, Mark David Chapman was so obsessed with this book that he actually started to think of himself as Holden Caulfield. He even tried changing his name to Holden Caulfield. No. Yes. Then he made his wife read a copy of the book in which he inscribed to Gloria from Holden Caulfield. Maybe, honestly, maybe a Comic-Con could have saved him. Maybe he could <laughs> just honestly? go role play it out for a weekend, come back, just be his douchey self. Once every six months, he can actually be Holden Caulfield. How obnoxious would a Salinger con be? <laughs> wow. 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 I just want to be in like the isolation house, VIP status. (laughs) There's only one VIP ticket. Exactly. Um, But but Gloria just took the book. Because at this point, she's watching him deteriorate so fast. Because also, one thing about uh, Chapman, too, is that he's been gaining a fuck ton of weight by by only drinking beer and milk and eating cookies. Like, he's on the Santa diet. He's getting all (laughs) sweet. Up. Santa, so Santa on December 26th diet, where he lets himself just yes. get hammered. The diet begins today. I'm going on Atkins immediately. But, oh no, croissants for breakfast. Uh, but he, uh, Gloria read it just to feel like she could try to understand him again. Like, mm-hmm. so she started to read through it furiously, trying to catch up with him, and then she's still like, He's 16. You're not Holden Caulfield. Right. Yeah, and it even went further than that. Like, he had a backup copy of Catcher in the Rye, and in that he wrote, from Holden Caulfield to Holden Caulfield. Oh, God. Yeah, and he said, like, he made sure he's like, he said, I did not believe that I was Holden Caulfield, but more than anything, he wanted to be Holden Caulfield. But isn't that the definition of what a phony is? Is someone who wants to be somebody else? No, no, no. It's a, no, not at all. It's not that you want to be somebody else. It's that you present yourself as somebody that you actually aren't. But isn't that a, isn't that what he's doing with no, Holden Caulfield? He's not presenting himself as Holden Caulfield. He's, he's calling he's, himself Holden Caulfield. Well, he's calling himself he, Holden Caulfield. I think this is a yeah, slippery slope. Like, is he wearing a it top is. hat and getting a monocle? <laughs> it is. That's how I picture Holden Caulfield. Slope. I have no idea what he looks like. But. <laughs> he's a little boy. He's a 16 year old boy with a t-shirt on jeans. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I always pictured him with glasses. He's got to have glasses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see Chucks for some reason. (laughs) Were those even around then? 
I guess. Yeah, of Maybe. course. I think, oh, okay. Yeah, I, think totally. the, I don't know. I'm not a shoe historian. Converse, yeah. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I don't work for Zappos <laughs> in their about section. <laughs> well, what he wanted to do is he wanted to bleed into the pages of Catcher in the Rye. He wanted to bleed himself with the ink. Like He hmm. wanted to be the titular catcher that saves children from falling off the cliff, therefore saving their innocence as told in a story in the book. Okay. I, I'll tell you what, I'm a real, I'm a real titular catcher <laughs> whenever my fiance lets me. Come on. Yeah. I, I, I thought we were almost mature enough to let that word go. I, actually, then, yeah. I actually put it in there as a trap to see which one of you were going to... I thought it. You know I thought it because that is a humorous word because it, had, it has, uh, you know, what word is in there. That, that's kind of fun. But, uh, yeah. Yes, he said there was a story where it's about children playing in the fields of rye and he made up this kind of allegory about kids falling off the cliff and that he wanted his life to be, he would be at the edge of the cliff catching the kids. But a part of it's also, I think we talked about a little bit last episode, it's an, author, it's an authoritarian point of view. <clears throat> it's this idea of I'm the only type, I'm the only person who can help everyone. Yeah. And that uh, the way to help people is to freeze them in the past. Hmm. That they're not allowed to grow older. You're supposed to make sure that they never change. Uh, and Because change is bad. Change means you turn into a phony. The only people that are real are children, even though you eventually will grow up. Right. No That's- matter what. Kind of horrifying there. Yeah. Kind of horrifying. Yeah, it's a lot, like a lot of people have that authoritarian streak, especially when they're younger. Sure. You know, where it's like, how men, how is that person going to tell me what to do? I'll tell them what to do. That's going to work out, you know, but meanwhile, <laughs> there's people waiting in the drive through of Burger King just being like, it's Whopper Wednesday. We need to get these Whoppers out. Come on, let's go. <laughs> well, Mark David Chapman, he wanted to blend himself with the ink. He wanted to become Holden Caulfield. Mm. He just had to figure out how. And all this time, something very dark and very troubling was brewing inside Mark David Chapman. Because it wasn't like this new obsession like made him happy. Right. It's not like when you find like a new video game that you really love and just want to play all the time. Sure. Like this, it made him miserable. Hmm. So instead of making him happy, the obsession just seemed to give a focus to all the free-floating hatred that Chapman had been storing up for the world not bestowing greatness upon him. Oh. So that hatred, now laser-focused, was going to have to go somewhere eventually. It just so happened that the thing that gave that hatred a destination was a book that Chapman stumbled upon in the same library where he rediscovered Catcher in the Rye. The book that Mark David Chapman found was John Lennon, One Day at a Time. Oh, that's actually a great book for an alcoholic to read. (laughs) One Day at a Time. It is. So when Chapman opened that book, he found dozens of photographs of John Lennon's new opulent lifestyle paid for by his near billion dollar share of the Beatles gold mine. So rich. John Lennon, in 1980, he was worth $800 million. Oh, God. How don't you just have a bed filled with coke? (laughs) I mean, that's what he did for a while. And then he chased every lifestyle in the world, right? Where he went and him and Yoko made a bunch of records together and then they bought the apartment and he'd travel the world and then eventually he lived into this weird reductive lifestyle by 1980 where it was all about like, I just want to lay in bed with my child and my wife all nude and all we do is read the paper and eat little breads, tiny little breads. It's like all of a sudden being like, you're lying to yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he said he became a house. 
house husband for okay. five years. Yeah, they oh, went yes. out sailing. They bought a yacht. Like he was, uh, he had this huge country estate. Like John Lennon was definitely spending that eight hundred million that he had. Okay, and as Chapman said. The catcher in the rye was the stove, and the linen book was the fire. These drove him insane. Yes. These pictures. When he saw this book, yes, because it was the it was the picture of John Lennon on the roof of the Dakota Building, over like looking over West Seventy Second Street and Central Park West. It's one of the swankiest, mm-hmm. craziest buildings in New York. Have you ever been past it? What's the last time you've been past the Dakota? Uh, I went uh, actually right before we uh, recorded the last episode. I went. To, yeah, it's great. I went down to there. It's Amazing. It's Yay. surrounded by these like ancient stone gargoyles. It's, it's got two doormen on staff at all times. There you go. Yeah, it's a beautiful, and it's right across the street from Central Park. Yep. It is amazingly nice. One mm-hmm. of the nicest buildings in all of Manhattan, which makes it one of the nicest buildings in the fucking world. There it is. Did you, um, did you look like a crazed stalker when you did it? <laughs> that's the well, that's what surprised me is still to this day, there were probably six people up and down West 72nd taking pictures. They were posing in front of it. Why like, it's is still no- to this day, people make, and this was like 2 o'clock p.m. on a Monday. Like, this wasn't a Saturday. Or this wasn't a yep. weekend. Like, people are just going there. Dude, I'm telling you, you're an actor. You're in New York. You're skinny. You're lanky. You want to make some money. Go put on some John Lennon gear. Go dead and just have a yes. tip bucket there. People will take pictures. Yes. Give them a buck. You will make thousands of dollars a year. You won't have 800 million bucks. You are the person yeah. pretending to be dead John Lennon. But you'll make a couple thousand bucks. You will get a couple of guys showing up as Ringo next to him. Yeah. Like, Can we just stand next to him? Can we just love, be in the picture as well? I love Ringo so much. So Chapman, he sat there and he flipped through the pages of the book and he thought about all those years he'd spent listening to the Beatles, all that talk of peace and love, and he started getting angry. He then took the book home and showed it to his wife, ranting about how hypocritical it was that this man who showed off his yachts and fancy apartments and country estates had sung about imagining no possessions. Then Chapman read an article in which Lennon admitted that all the super obnoxious stunts that he and Yoko would pull throughout the years had all been for publicity, all Mm. cynical promotional events just to sell more records. Well, I mean, imagine John Lennon, he's saying, "Um, imagine you have no possessions because you gave them all to me. (laughs) This is not about me. This is about you. Like, you don't have a God. You have nothing. But like, I have a bunch of stuff. Uh Uh-huh. Then Chapman got a copy of Lennon's first solo record and heard Lennon saying that he didn't believe in God or heaven or even in the Beatles. <laughs> it's very, um, it's a provocative song. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fine song. Yeah. But you could see that he wrote it to be specifically upsetting. Yes. Right. Yes, which is part of the uh, infuriating nature of John Lennon. Okay. Oh, yeah, he was he was a real jerk-off. Yeah. But, yeah very talented <laughs> Makes jerk-off. Sense. Technically the victim in this story. But he is yes. absolutely the victim. Of course, but of course. That also does not make him a saint. No. You know, that does not make him a martyr or a god or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are still allowed to say that John Lennon was an infuriating human being. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he said that the only things that he believed in were himself and Yoko. But, sure. But even... <laughs> right. Sure. Sure. Okay. I mean, I listened to Double Fantasy while researching this episode, and... Uh, I'm not a fan. <laughs> a couple of good songs there, on there. There, are, t- there are two good songs. I'm Losing You is a fantastic song. Uh, and sure. Watching the Wheels is a pretty good song. That's something fun to do, too. <laughs> <laughs> but even after all this, 
The thought of killing John Lennon hadn't entered into Mark David Chapman's mind. He was angry and betrayed by what he thought John Lennon owed him specifically. Right. But he wasn't going to kill him. Okay. Well, if he does plan to kill him, he's going to have to go through the little people. He has to go through little people Congress. He better get approval from Congress. Honestly, talk about the the red tape. Yeah. You it's not easy to do. We're talking war here. Yeah, and talk about the lobbyists from the balls saying we need to be jerking off more. Oh, man. What finally did it, though, was Sergeant Peppers. I bet. <laughs> Isn't that what you call your shits? Sergeant Peppers. After, oh, man. Admiral that's, Peppers. That's All right, let's not. But they didn't go to 15 years of shit school to be called Sergeant Peppers. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> that's very <laughs> you keep them honest keeping them yes. honest that's good yes. so one night chapman was thumbing through his wife's beatles lps and happened to pull out her copy a copy of sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band by the beatles oh. he said he was staring at john lennon's face on the cover of that album just like he used to stare at his copy of meet the beatles when he was a kid and suddenly a thought popped into his head wouldn't it be something if i killed john lennon Huh. Wouldn't it be something huh. <laughs> like like he came up with the cronut? Yeah. Like, wouldn't it be something if I killed John Lennon? Hmm, that's a funny, that's a funny, fun idea. Wild. Yeah, that's one of those thoughts that should come in and bump right out. But yeah. I guess for him, yeah. it just kind of bounced around. Huh? We all have dark thoughts. Of course. We all have very sure. dark thoughts. Like, what if? What if I did that? Yeah. But you don't do it. Every day. Every- <laughs> Technically, the therapist that I have is called, it's called intrusive thoughts. Yes. You know, and I have them all the time. Yeah, of course I'm always driving down the street being like, if I just fucking jerk the wheel and I stop all this whole highway of traffic, it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's fun almost to think about, to dabble yeah. in. Oh, yeah. But you just let it go. Yeah, my most intrusive thought is when I'm in the exit row on a plane. What would happen if I just pulled that lever? Okay, well, that's good to know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, the horrible thing was, it was pretty easy to kill John Lennon. Because everyone knew he lived at the Dakota, and they knew exactly where to find him coming in and out of his home almost every day. Because hmm. people would camp out in front of his building, waiting for an autograph or just to meet him. And to his credit, he was actually very gracious to his fans uh, who did that. Sort of like an occupied John Lennon situation. <laughs> that, that's actually very nice, though, that he would sign autographs. That is, that's a, let's say yeah. that's very sweet. He was really close with his fans by the end, because in the end, he kind of came back around as he was coming back down to earth. Apart. Part of it was his like trying to accept everyone like he was he was trying like he would make like friends with some of the super fans that would hang out like sort of like they would sit and they would chat. So maybe he could have turned out OK. You know, he went through a Shia LaBeouf phase. Yes. Where he says, I'm disconnected. But then Shia LaBeouf hanging out with everyone watching his own movies, being around <laughs> people. I'm actually a huge Shia yes. LaBeouf fan. I'll defend him. I like him. Yeah, I like him. I like, he's fine. He's just fine. Uh, but yeah, he was. I mean, and also to John Lennon's credit. Yeah. Like Kinder said, he was uh pulling back right. from all of those kind of shitty, obnoxious things that he'd done and said over the years. Because that little hiatus that he took, it was about a five-year hiatus between uh, between albums. Everything slowed down for him. Hmm. Uh, because the thing I understand about John Lennon is that he'd been famous since he was 16 years old. Oh, wow. You know, decades. For decades, That's this guy crazy. had been mobbed everywhere he went. Everywhere that is, except New York City. New York does not care. No. 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 People were cool here. You know, like, I mean, they cared that he was John Lennon, of course, but if they stopped him, it would mostly be just be like, hey, man, love the Beatles. Right. Hey, oh, Johnny, love the Beatles. Huh? <laughs> hey, question. 
Why are you fucking Yoko? <laughs> All right, I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Yeah. All right, buddy. Yo. Yeah, or like a ribbon. Hey, I like that walrus song at John. Hey, you looking skinny. Get yourself some pies of pizza. All right, Get it. I love New York. Yeah, they'd like, it was like, hey, John, when the Beatles getting back together. Right. They'd be like, oh, yes, very funny, yeah, very funny. Right, yes, yeah, so right. that's fine. <laughs> and you'd like stop and like shake their hand. They'd just be like, hey, man, got to say, look, Revolver changed my life. And he'd be totally cool with it. He'd love it. Okay. And plus, New York City, it was still in its hellhole phase in 1980. So it was kind of like insulated from the rest of the world. People were terrified of New York City. Right. So he pretty much, ju- it's not like now, you know, where fucking anybody can come and it's totally oh, yeah. safe. It's one of the safest cities on the planet. Honestly, the most dangerous thing in New York City, Times Square, Mickey Mouse, Spider-Man, uh, <laughs> the Incredible Hulk, people who are yes. dressed up as the Statue of Liberty, they are not your friends. No, don't take pictures with you Do with not. them because they will demand money from Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And never take a mixtape because it <laughs> never, is not never, free. No, never, ever, ever, <laughs> ever take a mixtape. You learn nope. that one real fast. Yep. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with Horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders... I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest and... I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine. And it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up. And a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God, I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. Hi! Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs, and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt, and I love planting things myself. And fast-growing trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. So for John Lynn, this was the best he could hope for. He loved it here. However, he was also obsessed with assassination. He'd have recurring dreams of getting shot and killed specifically. And he'd say he'd sit at his kitchen table and get stoned, and he'd just go on and on about it for hours at a time. Oof. And there also, it wasn't the term murdered. It was the term assassination that shows you where his head was at, mm-hmm. where he viewed himself as an important enough figure that when someone would murder him, it would. And I mean, and technically, yeah. in many ways, he was correct. I, I mean, so, he's yeah. an egomaniac, but he was also like, look what happened in the aftermath of his murder yeah. but he viewed himself as like I mean I'm an obvious target like I'm right. like if someone kills me I, I it will mean it will be a poetic death to many people you can't blame the guy that people are following him around like he's a Pied Piper yeah. uh, since he's 16 years old of course that's going to go to your head and think well I'm a little bit more special than the average Joe well it's not just that he also knew that the FBI had a file on him he knew that J. Edgar yeah. Hoover had been following him for years because like who he knew that, that who is that really weird bumpy guy in the dress behind me <laughs> Uh, is that J. Edgar Hoover? Name's J. Edgar Hoover. You like my heels? You know I can jump in them. I, am, uh, I have incredible calf strength. Anyways, got an eye on you, mister. <laughs> so really, I mean, back then, uh, J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI, like they were putting John Lennon on the same level as Martin Luther King mm. or like other people that, you know, were agitating against the establishment. Like John Lennon was, as far as the U.S. government went, right there up with them. It's just so funny. The FBI had a list and be like, what's their crime? They'd be like, they want peace. <laughs> They've been talking about like this peaceful resolution of race wars and yeah, things like that. Yeah, because peace is for commies, Ben. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah, and communists are the loosening the glue of this country. Oh, okay. That's all they're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. It wasn't peace, man. It was about the communists coming in, getting the agitators all going, because if the agitators were going, that meant that we were going to start fighting each other, fighting against oh. the status quo, and that was going to rip the country apart. John Lennon, that communist 
communist with $800 million. <laughs> yes. And the, great th- and the amazing thing is, is that the Russians actually listened to all the stuff that they were talking about way back then, uh, kind of put a spin on it, and then today actually put it into practice. Oh. But they do it through uh, Facebook ads oh. and ripping oh. the country apart that way. Fun. So, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, cool. incredibly easy, oh, actually. Who awesome. knew? Yeah. <laughs> it's incredibly easy. Yeah, and it wasn't through like good music. It was uh, through Stupid. social media. And Stupid. dumb memes. Yes, yeah. it was through memes. Literally a cartoon frog. Treating us like a bunch of fucking uh, rats in a maze. Yeah, yeah that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bunch yeah. of programmable drones <laughs> that are attached to our phones like it's crack cocaine. Only if it didn't work, then I would blame them. Well, the most ironic thing about all this is that John Lennon, he always thought he was going to get assassinated for his political beliefs, you Hmm. know, because he was up there with Martin Luther King Jr. He was up there uh, with, or he believed he was up there with like people like Gandhi. Bobby Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy, all that. He thought that that's what he was going to get assassinated for. He thought, he definitely thought that. But in the end, he was killed because someone believed he'd abandoned his ideology. Crazy. You know, the exact opposite. Interesting. And that person, Mark David Chapman, saw Lennon as no more than a stand-in for the pimp in Catcher in the Rye that Holden Caulfield had fantasized about killing. Mm. But the difference here was that Chapman was actually going to do it. Yeah. Chapman was going to enact what he came to think of as Chapter 27 of Catcher in the Rye, going one better than J.D. Salinger. But it's it, the fantasy is what's uh, truly frightening. Mm. Right. Yeah, he believed that when he shot John Lennon, he would curl up into a ball next to Lennon's body and disappear into the ink of Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> that was his, that was, no shit, that was his plan. Just cut to him getting hit with billy clubs by the NYPD. <laughs> Just be like, I am not melting away. Um, yeah, that's, that's what, that is what happened. And a part of it, it's, it's weird. Over the course of reading uh, Let Me Take You Down and researching into his book, um, at first, you know, like you laugh about the fantasy and stuff and all stuff, but it, it's actually starting to become very frightening for me. Mm-hmm. Like uh, that Mark David Chapman did this, because then it's also the thing where it's like, I'm going to say maybe like there's a solid 15% of people that are walking around just thinking the same shit. Oh yeah, of course. But they just don't kill you. You know what I mean? They just don't kill you because they're just not going to because their their specific fantasy is like, I'm going to take a shit over here at the salad bar in the sizzler. (laughs) Like I'm going to do a ride on the Cobb salad and then I become one with the corn fritters. Like I will (laughs) dissolve into a corn fritter. And the family of eight comes in and be like, "Mm, man, these corn fritters today are tasty. Saltier (laughs) than usual, but also like a corny taste. (laughs) Well, before Mark David Chapman could actually take care of the phony, he had to prepare himself. So on October 23rd, 1980, Chapman quit the maintenance job he'd been working and signed out with the name John Lennon, officially beginning his quest to assassinate the former Beatle. Okay. Amazingly, unbeknownst to Chapman, as this is pointed out in Let Me Take You Down, John Lennon was starting something new as well. And that day... John Lennon released the single Just Like Starting Over ahead of the release of Double Fantasy, his first album in five years. Just Like Starting Over was the song? Yeah. And so maybe that goes to what you were talking about earlier, a rebirth yes. of who he was as a person. Oh, it was very Trying much to connect purpose. again, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was like purposely put together. It was a whole thing. It was his He was his return. And then Chapman, it kind of got folded in, too. It's another synchronicity that he viewed as like, oh, I'm going to serve my purpose here. Well, that's the thing, though, is I don't think Chapman ever knew about that. 
It's Let, so weird though. Then if he did, so he weird, did, yeah. and then it shows just so much how it's such a fucked up coincidence. It's it's such a like a, <clears throat> their their lives are melding together, um, not on purpose. No, right, not at all. Because Chapman was in Hawaii. You know, and yeah. that, and it wasn't like it is today, yeah. where you know something is released worldwide at all at the same time. Where you know we're hearing the same shit that they're hearing in like Korea. Yep. like things had to travel. Yeah, I think in Hawaii, in the nineteen nineteen eighty Hawaii, I think the best music was coconuts, and it was just people <laughs> yeah, slamming yeah, yeah, them yes, together. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, they had ukuleles. They had. There's been Zoe Deschanel's in Hawaii since the beginning, but they weren't Zoe Deschanel's. They were traditional Hawaiian music. Yes, no one should pay, play the ukulele unless they're over 350 pounds, because that is adorable. Yeah. Well, back in Hawaii, Chapman was calling on Satan to give him strength to carry out his plan. Mm. I wish it was more metal than this, but it's not. It's not. You know what I mean, like it's not. I mean, like it's sad when you're asking Satan for help because he's like, "What? He's like, stop it! Stop asking me for help! Do you know anything about Satanism? You're not supposed to ask me for help." I mean, I don't know. Was he going through like? Uh, was he like painting himself all up? Was he naked or he anything naked. like that? He, he was, was always, naked. Yeah, he was definitely naked. naked. Yeah, Did he have like an Apocalypse Now moment where he just like flipped immediately? Immediately. Well, he did destroy his wife's record player once when he wasn't working properly. He was trying to put it together and he destroyed it. At this point, he's become a terror in the house, mm. uh, muttering to himself, sitting in the kitchen, screaming at his little people, like doing like his pitches <laughs> at the little people. Good God. Yeah, Chapman, he'd get naked. He'd put on Beatles records and beg Satan to help him. All And that's the thing. All while he's doing this, he's doing this in the middle of the night. All why is while his wife is trying to sleep in the next room, just cowering under the covers, terrifying. Oh my god, horrible. And to the best of Chapman's memory, this was one of his chants to Satan. Hear me, Satan. Accept these pearls of my evil and my rage. Accept these things from deep within me. In return, I ask only that you give me the power to kill John Lennon. Give me the power of darkness. Give me the power of death. Let me be a somebody for once in my life. Give me the life of John Lennon. I can't give you the power, but uh, there's a thing called a firearm. <laughs> and you wouldn't believe how easy it is to use. So fast. He got it. He got it so fast. Yeah, he did. You know, later, Chapman would say that it was silly to think that Satan or demons yeah. had possessed him. That's the silly yeah. part. Yeah, it is silly. Yeah, I was that's, laughing. Silly. I laughed that's when silly. I first thought of yeah, it. Yeah, you know why it's silly? Why? Because demons can't possess Christians, Ben. <laughs> Naturally. Oh, yeah. Naturally. Oh, that's yes. why it's silly. Yeah, yeah, this is what he said about it. <laughs> I didn't believe those things were inside of me at the time. Not really. Like, not really. Not deep in my heart. I, I could summon them and use them, but they had to stay outside. Okay. Still to this day, he he holds on to that bullshit. Okay. Because it's just a, another... It's Because Mark David Chapman, he... Throughout his entire life, always take like he acts like he's taking responsibility, but there's always that one little thing that he can put in front, right. like that he can put in front and say, like, yeah, it's my fault. I take total responsibility, except for this one little thing. Right. If this one well, little I thing wasn't really here, though, but at the same time, but so um, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, but at the same time, it's not my fault. But you know, but it's also whatever's the newest story that will get him attention. Mm-hmm. Right. What we'll learn too, like especially post murder Chapman, is that he's such a fucking little piss bucket. Baby, 
about everything. Everybody's just me, 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 me. Everybody needs to pay attention, so he's constantly changing his narrative to get people to talk to him. So this whole thing started with him nude, his dick is banging around on the record machine. I don't know about banging. And, well, who knows what he no, did with that. He probably no. put it on there a couple of times, let it flip around a little bit, and it was all these chants to Satan, huh? Uh-huh. And that's what he said. He said that he needed the power of Satan to pull the trigger. Hmm. That that's who actually did it. It was the power oh, of Satan. I, oh, he yeah, didn't yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. I see. If you really want to figure out how he killed John Lennon, you got to follow the money. And you know who are the people that were in charge of the money? Was the little people. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, because there's a shit ton of logistics to figure out here. Okay. You know, you can't just yeah. call on Satan and Satan's going to transport you to New York City. Right. And get you a gun and all that shit. Nah, there's, nah, a, nah, yeah, nah. there's planning that goes in all this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Satan's not a fucking travel agent. No. <laughs> like, he's not here doing all your shit. Satan's not your Quicken account. No. That's what you have the little people for. Ah. Yep. So the little finance minister helped him work out all the monetary problems of getting the means to kill and the places to stay, plus a little walking around money without asking any questions. But after he got all that worked out... Mark decided he had to come clean. Well, because he couldn't tell them directly that he was going to kill John Lennon. When he had the meeting with them, he had to start with, I'm thinking about taking a little vacation to New York. And I mean, when he started, he first said that to his wife and she's like, why? And he's like, fuck you. Like, I go where I got to go. And then he has to go crawl into the little people to be like, I need X, Y, Z money for hotel. And the, th- and the whole time, the little people were like, but why? why? Like, why? What? Like, they're What's giving him, on? like, the hard turn. And then he's like, mm, I guess I should maybe tell them what I'm trying to do. Yeah. He called together his entire cabinet and told them that he'd finally decided to be someone. Oh, a cabinet that can fit in a cabinet. Yeah, it's like the Indian in the cupboard, but it's Harry Reid and Mitch McConnell. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. You know what I'd like to do with that cabinet? He's just fucking throw it out a window out onto the street from a five floor building. <laughs> it's been it's really fun. fun since he got into politics. Oh yeah, it really is. That's yeah, right. fun. Yeah. So Mark David Chapman in his meeting with the little people and how he would meet with the little people is he had said he had this huge television screen that he would appear on while all the little people would sit like it was like the United Nations. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, he said that someone from his childhood, the man whose songs he'd sung to them, his subjects, had hurt him greatly. He told them about the John Lennon book and the betrayal and his astonishment that Lennon lived in New York and not a big castle in England with all of the other Beatles, which would have somehow been better in Chapman's mind. Okay. British people are supposed to live in castles. I guess I understand that. Yes, and British bands are all supposed to live in castles together. Ah, it makes sense. So Chapman told the little people that all this put together had ruined his life. John Lennon had ruined his life. He told them that because of all this, he had decided to kill John Lennon and he wanted their help. But think about this, Kissel. We've all, I mean, Marcus, you were there too. And Kissel and I also previously, we've been a part of pitches that are going south. Oh, sure. (laughs) First poop of the day. You know, yes. You remember. (laughs) Yep. And you know what happens is, is that they start looking at their phone. Right. They start leaning back. They start like, you want a cup of water? Like, they they start disengaging. The little people are starting to give them the stiff arm. Like, he's trailing, and he's weirding out the fantasy people (laughs) that he created to do his budget. Right. (laughs) He's weirding them out. They're like, huh. 
I don't know, Mark. That sounds kind of crazy. <laughs> what do you think, uh, 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 Lord of the Feet? What do you think? <laughs> How's those New Balances doing? And he's just like, New Balances are fine, but I'm going to have to give a nay to killing John Lennon. They're like, yeah. <laughs> tough crowd, tough crowd. Yeah. After a quick little beat out, they huh? had a quick little bull session, and they came back and say, like, Mark, listen, um, we have to respectfully decline. Wow. Uh, this program, this plot seems to be all about destruction. It's only going to destroy your life, and we, as people who have sworn to protect you, cannot take a part in this. We cannot stop you, but we cannot help you. All right, there it is. And so they left. They left the boardroom. The boardroom disappeared. Meanwhile, he's in the kitchen doing all this to himself, (laughs) and Gloria's kind of hearing it on the other side. It's just still going... Uh, well, my Swifferin has never been more complete. <laughs> She's just Swifferin and Swifferin. Everything is gleaming clean. What mm-hmm. a nightmare for her. So Chapman accepted their decision, wished them the best, and in yet another coincidence, <laughs> bought a 38 special from a guy whose name just happened to be Robin Ono. Oh. oh my God! And on the next day, Mark David Chapman was on a plane to New York City, but this first attempt didn't work out. He wandered around New York and actually saw David Bowie star in a production of The Elephant Man, which, which was, was really? awesome. Fucking wow. so awesome. And then he went to see George C. Scott in a play. You could just do that back then? Dude, back oh, then. Yeah. It's like, yeah, oh, I'm going to go see the guy who was in Patton and Dr. Strangelove. I'm just going to go see him in a play. I'm just wow. going to do that. Yeah, cool. And then I'm just going to go see David Bowie be the elephant, man. Now it's like Jim Parsons playing Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Dr. Seuss, the revisionist yeah. musical where it's all fucking dark. And you're like, I don't give a shit about this. Yeah. Or like Anastasia on Broadway where they cut out Rasputin completely, they apparently. Did. Whatever. Yeah. No, that's what I hear. That's what I hear. Because I was thinking about going. I was thinking about going. Well, you just lost yourself a customer, Broadway. (laughs) You just lost yourself a customer. (laughs) That's very good. Let them know. They just lost your $13 back, 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 back seat to Anastasia. (laughs) Well, Mark David Chapman, instead of enjoying what had to have been these amazing performances, he said all he could think of as he was watching these legends was how easy it would be to pull out his gun and shoot any of them. Jeez. That's all oh I can think God, about. Oh my God, that's so right. fucking scary, man. That's so scary. But the, well, he didn't think about the little people veto, though, huh? That, well, after the little, little people left, he's like, all right, fuck you. I'll do it on my own. Look I'll at t- that I'll Saturday Night Massacre, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Took I'll care of him. <laughs> <laughs> but the problem was, at that time, and probably not now either, you couldn't buy bullets for a 38 special here in New York City. Really? No, absolutely. Oh yeah, not. no. When he called the gun shop looking for it, the guy was like, "Are oh, you trying to buy bullets for thirty eight special? Go fuck yourself! You're not buying them from me." Like people <laughs> oh, were like it, very intense about it. While he was able to bring his gun, uh, he didn't have anything to shoot these people with. He should have gotten the bullets in Hawaii. Eh? That's why instead of having gun control, we should have bullet control, <laughs> and we should Come make on, the plane out of the black box. <laughs> and one day they're just gonna bake our head in the cheese. <laughs> yeah, come on now. Yeah, come on. Come now. on. 
<laughs> so to solve this problem, Mark David Chapman took a flight down to Atlanta and under the guise of just a nice little visit to an old friend, he picked up five hollow point bullets. Okay. Not only say, give me five hollow points, which you gave it to him, he then trained him how to use the fucking gun. They Perfect. went They went shooting immediately because it's str- Atlanta, so it's fun, in, it's fun in games. And then he's just like, don't you do anything nefarious with them bullets now. Right. And he's been like, never, never in a thousand years. I just collect them. I draw little faces on them. You know what? Speak to little people in my brain. <laughs> Can I get the bullets back? <laughs> All the targets uh, looked like John Lennon, you know? Yeah. Kind of wild. And he told his friend, like, hey, yeah, I'm going to New York City. I've been in New York City. Coming down for this visit. Now I'm going back to New York City. i got to have something to protect myself with. Right. Uh, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, of course, man has a right to bear arms. Here's a handful of hollow point bullets. Okay. So Chapman returned to New York fully loaded. And as a further coincidence, just another one. He yeah. read an Esquire article on the plane criticizing John Lennon for his hypocritical upscale lifestyle. Oh, nothing like Esquire to bring people down to earth. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and of course, like, you know, John Lennon took this as a sign. What he was doing was right. <sighs> he even went to the Dakota where Lennon lived and made friends with the doorman scouting out the scene. But one night, Chapman went and saw the Mary Tyler Moore Timothy Hutton movie Ordinary People. Oh. Very sad. Yes. Very, very sad Isn't movie. that one of the saddest movies of all time? It's like I'd say. When I looked it up on IMDb, uh, when checked it out, uh, it said, you may also like Terms of Endearment. Okay, good. Great. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Who likes that? <laughs> I don't know. but Jackie. Jackie. It's, it's so These sad. are Jackie movies. Okay. Yeah, Jackie likes sad movies. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, Timothy Hutton's character in Ordinary People touched Mark David Chapman in such a way that he called his wife and told her he was coming home. This motherfucker identified with everything. If he saw, I bet you he'd see a commercial for for bananas and be like, that banana woman with all the fruit in her head. (laughs) That's me. I I get her. I get where she's coming from. I too have a burden on my mind. (laughs) But when it cuts to Timothy Hutton, like he identified with Timothy Hutton, who's a suicidal character in that movie. And it's just like, okay, sure. It's another, another one. That's you. Hmm. Everybody's you. Yeah. He said he looks for uh, identity and everything because he has none himself. And because he's a narcissist, he sees everything as for him. And that's why he bought hollow point bullets because he himself was hollow. (laughs) Psychological coincidence, but also, also a theory that is working. Why not? <laughs> so Mark David Chapman spent two more days in New York, still going to the Dakota <clears throat> and staring at the building while listening to Todd Rundgren on his Walkman. <laughs> then, oh, oh man, poor Rundgren. He, uh, did not, he did not want to be a part of this. Of course not. No, no. Rundgren's actually <laughs> no. a good dude. Like, yeah, he produced uh, the New York Dolls first album. He produced Bad Out of Hell. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, this guy, he knew, he knows what he's doing. Todd Rundgren did not deserve any of this. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> so, and neither did John Lennon, by the way. Of course. Yeah. So on November 11th, almost two weeks after Mark David Chapman had left Hawaii, he called his wife and confessed. Like he told her, I came to New York to kill John Lennon. But. Oh. <laughs> but like, what's the response? Like, oh, okay. Uh, oh, oh, good. 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 Bad. <laughs> and he said, but he said, but. Your love has saved me. So I'm oh, coming home. Great. Okay. 
So he came back the next day, threw his copy of Catcher in the Rye in the garbage chute, and decided it was time to put the whole I'm going to kill John Lennon thing in the past. That's the Put that in the past. Thank you so much for listening to the last podcast and left. This has been a great episode. <laughs> um, thank you so much for giving to the Patreon, right? Is yes. it, what are we doing here? yourselves, everyone. Congratulations. <laughs> That's the story. And that does, that did make me think, actually. Like that line, like when I find, found that out, how many fucking people come this close? Oh my God. I don't want to think about yeah. it. It's horrifying. Yeah. It, it, it is deeply horrifying. I think it happens. I, I would say it happens quite a bit. Yep. I'd say that there are a lot of people you develop an obsession and then normally what you hope is that there's some kind of safety net, right? Or that some loved one can reach out, that you have enough connections to the real world that someone can come and save you, right. which is a thing that we're kind of having a problem with mental health in this country to begin with. Man, watch the do- HBO documentary, The Dangerous Son. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> don't watch it. Don't. Oh, we have a recommendation and direct. Recommendation. I'm stuck in the you middle. Like, you didn't like it? No, man. Oh, is it bad? No. It was well, horrifying. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's obviously very, it's very horrifying. But I'm saying, like, but it's important to realize. I mean, like, the gap in mental health care in this country uh, is really going to result in a lot of dangerous people. Yeah, and well, thank God it hasn't yet. You know, that's <laughs> what's so good is that it, so far it's been peaceful. Um, no, it's a, it is a very good documentary. It's okay. a very well put together All documentary. Right, it like it, uh, it links uh, some of these guys that are like you know have horrible mental health problems. Uh, you know where it's like most of these people are fine. Most of them don't do anything, but some of them are Adam Lanza. Sure. Some of them are uh, James Holmes. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are Mark David Chapman. Yes, it's the same shit. Yeah, where and we need to get these people help. And yep. if we don't, then bad shit is going to happen. All right. Ah, Jules. Oh, Jules. Make a wife smile today. The road to getting engaged can be long and full of memories and pitfalls and landmines. Or it can be short and thrilling, like a roller coaster on the way to the police department. But the road to finding the perfect engagement ring is a straightforward path Every time, all you've got to do is head over to BlueNile.com and they're going to ship them rocks straight to your wife's new fingers. On BlueNile.com, you can create a bigger, more brilliant piece than you can imagine. At a price you won't find at a traditional jeweler, Blue Nile is the original online jeweler since 1999. That's present time to me. Their diamond price guarantee means that in most cases they can meet or beat a competitor's price on a comparable diamond. I know when I got my wife a beautiful Blue Nile necklace, the first thing she did was, what did you do? But afterwards, she was so happy to have it and she loved it and she wore it when we went on vacation and modern did everybody come around being like, where'd you get that piece, you beautiful woman? And I was like, stop talking to my wife. She's spoken for. You can see it with the Blue Nile. Bling, she's got on her. Right now, get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more with code LASTPODCAST at BlueNile.com. That's $50 off with code LASTPODCAST at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. How many platforms do I work on? So many platforms. Can you believe it? Google Docs. Work on that. Very complicated. Lots of different things going out. Clickety-clack, right? Slack. Saying things to my employees. All of my, all my, my main doldgers walking around here. It makes sure it changes cluck to the word I meant for it to say to everyone. But I try to say 
not curse words on Slack. What am I supposed to do about it? But Grammarly doesn't fix curse words, does it? Because Grammarly's too good for it. It's too classy. It's Grammarly is an AI writing partner that helps you get work done faster with high quality writing. Because better writing means a stronger impact. The pen is mightier than the sword. Except when the sword is in the room. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing and suggestions based on your audience goals and context. Can you believe it? And data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly. It's in its goods. All right. So Grammarly's great. Use it. I use it. I love its gentle harassment of my writing style because it does help me because sometimes my thumbs are faster than my eyeballs. Don't quote me on that. Get AI writing support that works where you work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. So Mark David Chapman came back, through his copy of Catcher in the Rye in the Trash, mm. figured I'm going to put it all behind me, but over the next month... An itch showed up in the back of Chapman's mind. Uh oh. He called this itch the child. <sighs> yes. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> never let a child itch you as an adult. No. So if you're over <laughs> the age of 18, that? never let a child yeah, do that. Don't, that's not good. Chapman said that the child was the driving force behind this entire plot. Oh. It doesn't really make sense because it's just an no. excuse. I mean, this is like right. it's the same type type of shit that Ted Bundy used to say with the entity. Mm. Is that it wasn't Ted Bundy who did all this; it was the entity mm. who did all this. That's what I do when I eat a full pizza. I say that's the blob. Uh, that is not me. That is great movie that's by the way. Mentalization. Yeah. On Chapman's mind, the child was the one who saw John Lennon as a toy that had changed over the years, and the child had thrown a tantrum because of it. But it was the adult that had to do all of the practical work. Oh. If you have a young Sheldon appear before you and <laughs> call a other grown man a broken toy that you need to fix with a gun, <laughs> don't listen. Do not listen. Yes. Full stop. Now, the child was the one who had asked for Satan to pull the trigger. The child who brought the demons to hell. It's like the baby from fucking Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Got the Who Framed Roger Rabbit reference in. That's good. Contract. Yes. Complete. 
<laughs> he said, but it was the adult that gave the child the gun. It's the same shit as Ted Bundy because Ted Bundy used to say that it was the entity that made him, you know, kidnap and rape these women. Right. But he was the one who killed them uh, to cover up the crime. You know, and Gacy used to say the t- same type of shit. What was it that Gacy got? Didn't he just call it that other guy? <laughs> Gacy, that is so Chicago. That other yeah, guy that made other me do guy. it. Yeah, you know the other guy. But Chapman said that on the first trip to New York City, the child stayed in Hawaii and just didn't show up to play the game. That's good. Cheap tickets. Never take a child on... Also, never take a child on vacation into New York City. Even in in, in a physical child will not enjoy New York City. No, no. Disney World, when they're kids, when they're teens, maybe lug them around New York City. Maybe. (laughs) I got to say, I was on the plane back from Los Angeles. Thank you for coming out to the Echoplex. Great shows. And there was a dog... And it was a problem because it was wearing a diaper. Uh-huh. And I was like, that's a, that's oh. a pee, pee dog. That dog is going <laughs> to jump all dog. over. And sure enough, the entire flight, it just smelled kind of like a mild amount of dog crap. So I, I love dogs. <laughs> but, you know, if it can't handle it, also maybe take that into account. And so since the child didn't come along on the trip to New York, the adult went home. But a couple of weeks later, the child came back while Chapman was driving his car. And the child promised that this time, on this trip, they would actually do what they had gone there to do the first time. So he's been there twice now. He's only been there once. Only been there once. Okay, yes. I see. And so Chapman told his wife that he was going to go back to New York because he had an idea for a children's book or something. And Yeah, he just gave a bullshit excuse. He was yeah. like, I'm just going back to New York, even though you just went to New York to try to kill John Lennon and you didn't go. Right. She, and, and you didn't do it, so you uh, came back. So now she's just like, oh, okay, and totally bought it again. She's yeah. like, yeah, hey, just go. See you soon. Also, mm-hmm. an idea for a children's book, that comes from Hawaii. You don't have <laughs> ideas for children's books in New York. You have ideas for much more, much darker crime dramas. Yeah, yeah. Hawaii's got great, I mean, like, you go, you write it, it's like, uh, Hakanaka, the mischievous koi. That's a great children's book centered in Hawaii. (laughs) Mark David Chapman arrived back in the city on December 6th, 1980. That day, he arrived outside of the Dakota and made friends with two big Lennon fans who had become like kind of fixtures outside of John Lennon's house. And they, I mean, they were there so much that like actually some people in the Dakota, they'd send them on errands. Hmm. Okay. So look, yeah, it was like two sweet ladies mm-hmm. and they would sit and they'd hang out there all the time. And I mean, obviously they probably got a little bit wrong with the old bing bong up top. The sure. fact that they just sit out there all the time, but they were sweet enough. Right. Yeah. And it was also like 1980. I mean, these are people that aren't quite done with the 60s yet. Uh, they're holding on to him as hard as they possibly can, and the best they can do is hanging outside of John Lennon's house. Okay. But that's another interesting thing about Mark David Chapman. Even though that he'd been spending his nights naked, shouting about Satan <laughs> while playing Beatles LPs at 45 RPM, he was not a shambling mess all the time. And oh. he was not a shambling mess when he arrived in New York. Okay. Like, he was dressed nice. Button up? Button up. All right. Oh, yeah. He bought a really nice sable jacket. He looked really good because he had a concrete understanding that if he looked crazy, no one would let him near the Dakota. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and most people that talked to him, they actually said he was likable. Uh, they didn't mind having oh, yeah. him around. So he didn't have his well, uh, he- I'm unique shirt on or whatever <laughs> like that, just no. started screaming he at people. He had it on underneath his clothes. Oh, okay. But by then, he's been saying it so much, it became like his mantra. Um, he said he would turn up the Southern. He said when you're in New York, mm-hmm. City is that because he was from Atlanta is that when he would go which is kind of where the voice even comes from is that his friendly little southern persona where would go be like well y'all this is the biggest city I've ever been in <laughs> which shows 
how sneaky a Southerner can be. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> they, Absolutely, the oh, sneaky Southerner. Yeah, if you want people to underestimate you, just turn on your Southern accent. Absolutely. Oh, yep. hey, how y'all doing over here? Like, you think maybe you can give me directions over to Port Authority? Wham, yeah. wham, 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 Just look at that sessions. You'll just see the most atrocious things. we, we got to incarcerate half the country and be like, well, look at that little charming guy. Isn't that fun? Well, there were no linen sightings that first day, so Chapman checked into room 2730 at the Sheraton and went to sleep. The next day, he woke up, went out, and bought a copy of Double Fantasy. That's <laughs> Lennon's new album. He then walked through Central Park and New York City, subconsciously following in the footsteps of Holden Caulfield. Okay. But he realized he didn't have a copy of Catcher in the Rye, so he went into a bookstore to pick one up. This is his, like, fourth copy of this damn book. Yes. Yeah, maybe fifth. Okay. Yeah. So he's like, J.D. Salinger, like, loves him as a client, <laughs> as, a, as, as a reader, but not as a person. Mm-hmm. Yes. But perhaps tellingly, Chapman forgot about all that when he spotted a postcard featuring a scene from his favorite movie. Try to guess what it is, Ben. Favorite movie? Uh, Annie Hall. <laughs> Weird. Interesting choice, though. Yeah, interesting. Give it one more shot. Uh, it's older. It's older. Uh, I'm going to say Singing in the Rain. Actually, you're not far off. Wizard of Oz. No kidding. Well, mm-hmm. he also identified with Dorothy. Before, he uh, he went through a whole Wizard of Oz phase where he said he was Dorothy, and then eventually he said that his persona was a mix of all four of them. So this is another one. But, that of, is the, but this is me. It's like when my mom, the movie. Went from, my mom went from collecting things shaped like hearts to things shaped like pelicans to right. snowmen, and now my mom connects, collects witch figurines, and that's what she does. <laughs> but that is the whole point of that movie is you're supposed to relate to every one of those characters as a little piece of you. Mm-hmm. It's the whole point. But, but he saw it as they're an amalgamation of me. Yeah, buddy. He, he was, I don't it's, think it, it, he's the only one who existed, Kissel. You I don't, you're okay, not important. Yeah. It's just him. No, I know. It's just, all right. Yeah, the whole world exists for him. And, okay. And, and, and that's, the, uh, that's kind of the, the conflict, is the whole world exists for him, and yet the world isn't doing what he believes it should be doing. Well, you know what? Talk to the little people. Get things done. <laughs> pass some legislation. He, out. he fucked up the pitch, and they all left. <laughs> oh, man. Well, besides just buying the Wizard of postcard, he also bought the January 1981 issue of Playboy, which featured an interview with none other than John Lennon. Okay, who's on the cover there? Uh, mm. It was um, Mirtha Grunderson. Mirtha <laughs> Grunderson? Oh, they did, they yeah. did the uh, Nebraska Housewives edition? With the, yeah, it was the gross women of uh, uh, NSU <laughs> that they were doing. It was a Nebraska State University. Uh, looks like it's Barbara Bach. <gasps> Barbara Bach. What a weird coincidence. Barbara Bach from Daisy Duke. Daisy Duke, who was on, uh, uh, what's the spot? Dukes uh, of Hazard. Dukes of Hazard. Barbara Bach. Bach is currently on the new season of Works Cooks in America that I'm locked in for watching for some reason. That's a synchronicity. Really? <laughs> Who knew? Worst cook, huh? So Chapman bought both the Playboy and the Wizard of Oz postcard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but the Playboy had the added bonus of putting him in the mind for a little hired company. Oh, my goodness. He called an escort, but didn't have any sex because, you know, the whole warm wetness thing. Uh, yeah, it made him scared. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So he just gave her a massage. And uh, the thing that was really fucked up is that he called his escort and she walks in and she's wearing a green dress, which is the same exact color of the dress that the escort wore that Holden Caulfield met 
while in Catcher in the Rye. And so it's it's another one. It's another one where it's just like, what the fuck? She walked in in a green dress. It's the same story. He gave her the massage. Yeah. He's the escort. <laughs> I don't even understand. Like, why didn't he just put an ad out being like, I'll massage you for 50 bucks? He could make some money. Yeah. I'd actually I'd like to ask the sex workers that listen to our show if that would upset you or not. Because I feel like it's kind of nice. But in the end, you're paying to be able to touch a woman without her yelling. I think that's a part of what it I is. don't think that I think they're experienced. They're, they've well, seen it all. Yeah. And he also called and said, like, hey, do you think you can send someone who like doesn't speak English very well? Like someone who doesn't talk. He's like, yeah, I don't want to talk to him at all. Like, I just want him to come because he told them uh, she came in and he said, I don't want you to talk. I just want you to be here because tomorrow is going to be a very difficult day. Oh, my gosh. OK. So that next day on December 8th. Mark David Chapman woke up and knew that that was the day. But before he left the room, he had to prepare. First, he practiced his quick draw in the mirror for a couple hours. (laughs) You know what the problem is? It's funny for a while, but it's also Travis Bickle. Yeah. It's Travis Bickle did the same thing. So it's like, it's funny to watch this fat dude do it. But then knowing that he's going to go. Right. It is. Kill somebody afterwards is immediately becomes terrifying. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's just another. They're all just like they're just so pathetic, you know. It's yeah. like okay, so he's practicing his quick draw. Yeah, practice his quick draw, and every time he pulled the gun out, he clicked the trigger five times, like tick, 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 tick. And after he was satisfied with his gunplay preparation, I feel like he just also wants like a Red Rider BB gun for Christmas. Yeah, he's got to kill Black Bart, like. So after he was satisfied with his gunplay preparation, he looked at himself in the mirror and said, quote, The catcher in the rye of my generation, chapter 27. Then he laid out a Mark David Chapman shrine on top of the hotel dresser, dedicated to himself and the things he loved. Oh, good. He included a passport, a picture of him working with Vietnamese refugees, and a letter to one of his supervisors at the YMCA. And a really small, small, strangled little person from his Congress who, de- <laughs> who defied him multiple years ago. Strangled him, strangled him, and put him down. Along with all that was a Todd Rundgren 8-track, a Bible open to the gospel according to John with linen written in next to John. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, you see too. what he did? Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got yeah. it, yeah. And in the middle of it all, he laid the Wizard of Oz postcard he'd bought the day before. And it was a nice little scene showing Dorothy and the Cowardly Lion. Hmm. And I also put a plate of eggs and bacon because (laughs) breakfast is the most important (laughs) meal of the day. And I want anybody to see this to be reminded by it. That is a good reminder, yeah. (laughs) He then walked in and out of the room a few times (sighs) to make sure it was going to look right when the cops came in. Rearranging it just a little bit each time for maximum Mark David Chapman effect. (sighs) Well, because it's all about him. Right. Mm-hmm. It's all about because he knows they're going to come and search the hotel room looking for stuff. And he wants to make sure he can set the proper story. Right. So after he was satisfied, he left the room to meet his destiny. First, he stopped at a bookstore and picked up a copy of Catcher and a pen. He opened the cover Jesus. and wrote on the first page. This is my statement underlying the word this and then signed it. Holden Caulfield, the catcher on the right. Okay. He then went to the Dakota and started his day-long stakeout, armed with a copy of Catcher, a copy of Double Fantasy, and his thirty-eight special loaded with five hollow-point bullets. Mm. And it's sitting in the pocket of his jacket the entire day. Like, right. it's sitting there. He had dressed himself in many, many layers. I mean, obviously, it was still cold out, so it worked, but he was trying to hide the gun. But his hand was on the gun 
all day right waiting to go and no one thought this was suspicious even like pacing around or was he like dressed like a bush like <laughs> how he was he... with a bunch of people there was a bunch of people standing there too i see okay yeah and there were other guys like there was a guy there that was a photographer uh that pretty much made his living harassing john lennon I, oh, uh, and guys. so like mark david chapman made friends with him okay and, well know, that sounds like a good yeah. acquaintance for him to make yeah, yeah. and he, equally uh, yeah. annoying and the other thing that he did is he put a piece of cardboard in his pocket Pocket, so it would hide the outline of the gun okay. and his hand. So no one actually knew that he had a gun. So after that, after he got there, you know, after all these coincidences, mm. there was one more coincidence to go. And if this one is true, it might be the most amazing one of all. So the Dakota, where John Lennon lived, was the setting of Rosemary's Baby. Mm. And Rosemary's Baby was directed by Roman Polanski, mm-hmm. who was married to Sharon Tate who we all know was murdered by the Manson family. And the Manson family, as far as Chapman knew, were supposedly inspired by the Beatles song, Helter Skelter, written by John Lennon. I think you mispronounced Helter Skelter. (laughs) Helter Skelter. I think it was Helter Skelter. Yeah, Helter Helter Skelter, something like that. So on December 8th, 1980, as Chapman was outside the Dakota thinking about Rosemary's baby, who should walk by but fucking Mia Farrow? No kidding. Who yep. starred in At, Rosemary's wow. Baby? It's like every star was just right there. I mean, yeah, it's New York City. Yeah. 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 It's a city. It's a city that never sleeps. I heard that. <laughs> I've heard that. Chapman said he saw this as the final confirmation that he was making the right decision. Oh, my gosh. So at 11 a.m., the linen fan that Chapman had made friends with on Saturday showed up. And as Chapman and the fan were talking, a car pulled up in front of the, of the Dakota and a small child got out. That child was John Lennon's son, Sean. Mm. Yeah, the one that he actually chose to pay attention to. Yes, the one he, the one he chose to love, yes. Okay. Yeah. We don't have to malign John Lennon right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the one part where I'm like, you know, it's not. You're uh, right, you're right, you're right. You're right, you're right, you're right. You're right. And then you're right. Hey, all right. You're right. Now, the fan was familiar enough with the kid and the nanny to say hello. And she actually introduced Mark David Chapman to Sean Lennon. Oof. Mark David Chapman smiled at the kid, said he was honored to meet him, and told him, Hey, kid, I've come all the way from Hawaii just to meet your dad. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It was kind of like the time I saw Vince Vaughn walking down the street with his kids, and I was fucking stoned out of my mind. It was like maybe 12 years ago. I was like on the street. He was walking down the street with the kids, and I looked up, and I recognized it was Vincent D'Onofrio with his children. I looked at the kids, and he like regarded me, and in a moment of like awkward silence, I turned to his, to his children, and I said, your father's a very talented man. <laughs> You and have he pulled him was away it from D'Onofrio me. or Vaughn? Which Vince was it? <laughs> yeah, which Vince was Vincent, it? Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. It was Vincent D'Onofrio. He's too, I would not approach him, but don't talk to the kids. Yes. I learned, I learned to not do that. Face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, after this encounter, uh, Chapman said that if that moment when he met John Lennon's like toddler son, he said if that moment didn't change his mind, nothing would. Oh my God. So a few hours later, John Lennon finally appeared outside the Dakota and stood on the sidewalk waiting for a limousine. Now, Chapman's cover story this entire time, all weekend, was that he'd been waiting for John Lennon to come out so he could get him to sign his copy of Double Fantasy. And the plan was, John Lennon comes out, pull out the gun, shoot him. But when Lennon appeared, Chapman froze. And the photographer 
that Chapman had made friends with that day, he actually like nudged Chapman forward. He's like, go, he, you've been waiting all day. Go talk to him. Talk oh, to him. thank you, photographer. Yeah, thank you, p- pain in the ass photographer that ended up like was the main reason why John Lennon's entire team was like, you need fucking security because this guy was there. He had worked his way into the Dakota several times, took photos of the inside of the right. apartment, got let in like this guy. He was very, very invasive paparazzi. Leave him mm-hmm. alone. Yeah, and uh, people a bit like John Lennon's management had been saying, for weeks like you gotta get security you have to and John Lennon was like I'll I'll get to it later like right. it, it'll be fine like well let me he's like let me worry about the album right now and they're like no you need you need this because of the album like you have your right. face all over the fucking world your people are gonna come to see you you need security now and he's like nah I'll do it later hmm. but the thing was at this point when the photographer shoved him forward all Chapman could do was just thrust the album in John Lennon's face with the pen. And John Lennon took it, signed it, John Lennon, December 1980, and looked at Mark David Chapman and just said, is that all? Is that all you want? Wow. And Chapman just took it and said, thank you. Yep. It was very scary. And the... Cause they walked out when he's like, he heard the voice. Cause it's like, it's John Lennon. And when the guy faced him, it was like, this is the face I've always want. And then for, instead of murdering him for a second, he, I mean, he became the fan again. Mm-hmm. He was like, right. this was somebody I've always loved. I've always loved John Lennon. You're, I'm one of your, I am one of your biggest fans. Like I'm a ma- and, and they still, that record actually weird synchronicity went for sale uh, two days ago. The record that uh, John Lennon signed for Mark David Chapman, it, w- it was up for auction, I think, on Monday. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's, I think, a little over a million dollars starting bid, right? Something like that. Now, Chapman said after that moment, he wanted to go home. He said he wanted to have a, the doorman hail a cab, which would take him to the airport, and then he'd hang the signed album on the wall, and the whole thing was just going to be a kooky adventure. Okay. But he said the child inside of him wasn't going to have any of that. The child was still too hurt to let it go. The child wanted to make the phonies pay. And so Mark David Chapman waited for John Lennon to return. This is why we have to cancel Young Sheldon. (laughs) Because I think that Young Sheldon is going to make more of these children apparitions show up in people because everyone trusts Sheldon. Yeah, they do. And they think that he's he's a good nerd, and I don't think so. I think he's a bad influence. Could be. (laughs) And at about 11 o'clock that night, John Lennon did show back up. John Lennon's white limo pulled up in front of the Dakota and stopped. Yoko got up first, and Chapman smiled and nodded at her. Then Lennon appeared, and Chapman and Lennon shared a look. He's certain that Lennon recognized him from that earlier that afternoon. Mm-hmm. Well, he might they have. saw him, he's like, here's that fucking weird guy again. Why is he outside? Right. Yeah. And so John Lennon, like, he looked at the guy, and it was obvious he knew something was wrong. Okay. And Chapman said there was dead silence in his head as Lennon walked towards the arch of the building. And John Lennon, I mean, every footstep was faster than mm-hmm. the one before. And then, when Lennon's back was to Chapman, Chapman said the silence ended, and he heard the voice of the child. Do it. Do it, 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 do it. Because that's how uh, Mark David Chapman said it in the interviews, that it was this incessant whisper. Yeah. The, the, uh, just over and over again, r- r- riling him up. So Chapman pulled out his revolver, aimed, and pulled the trigger five times. Four shots hit John Lennon who took off in a sprint despite the bullet wounds. He crashed through a glass door and he collapsed. And at that moment, the child disappeared 
and the weight of what he'd done finally hit Mark David Chapman. Well, because as soon as he shot him, he thought that the body would disappear. Like he thought he shot him, the body would disappear, and then he would disintegrate and float into the book. And then that didn't happen. He also thought that he would just drop. He thought that he would just drop right in front of him and he would be able to have a moment with the body. And that's (sighs) also not how killing somebody works. No, it's It's the same thing with uh, Ed Kemper. Ed Kemper said the same thing where he thought you'd stab him once and they're dead. Where it's just like, no, because you don't, you've never, you don't know what it's like. It's not a video game. It's not a comic book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, immediately things didn't go how Mark David Chapman thought they would because he thought that the reason why he got hollow point bullets was he thought that that would just shatter John Lennon's body. Like, if you get hollow points, he knew how they worked, that they would just absolutely destroy whatever, like his internal organs, and he just go to the floor. He would curl up into a fetal position beside John Lennon, and they would disappear into the ink of ca- the Catcher in the Rye. So in his mind, John Lennon's last words would be like, I respect what you've done, or something like that. <laughs> yes. like, something like yes. that. Yeah. Such a f- yeah. But Lennon was nowhere to be seen. So Chapman dropped his gun, took out his copy of uh, Catcher in the Rye, and he tried reading it like to calm himself down. Oh my but he God. said the words didn't make any sense. And he said he started pacing back and forth, and he'd look back to the spot where he'd hit Lennon because he said he kept hoping that John Lennon uh, was fine. He said he kept hoping, like, oh, maybe I missed him. Fuck, 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 uh, fuck, because as soon, as soon as he fired the gun, like the thought in his head was, oh, fuck. Fuck. Yeah, dude, your life is over. Yeah, I mean, it's what they talk about every time when someone says the survivors of suicide. It kind of it happens quite a bit where it's like when you jump and then, and then the first thought is like, oh, my God, I'm stu. Oh, man, I should have done that. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he knew he's a f- I mean, he was very sick. I mean, just like, you know, people who because I mean, this is almost like I mean. Killing someone like this, I mean, you're essentially committing a kind of suicide of, uh, yeah. you know, freedom. I mean, uh, it course. is a suicide of freedom because you know oh, you're absolutely. not getting away. He also, there's a lot of psychological gobbledygook that because of his narcissism and because of the fact that when he right. signed out his last time as a security guard, he signed the name John Lennon, that there's a weird sort of theoretical idea that he had become John Lennon. And then when he shot him, he it was almost an extended act of sur- suicide. But when he didn't die, too, it's like, oh, shit. Yeah. Now there's consequences. Did he have that John Wilkes Booth thing where he's like, I'm going to be a hero. Once I get back to the South, they're going to love me. Well, yeah, kind of, uh, because he thought that by killing John Lennon, he was the catcher. You know, because yeah. John Lennon was going to be the person. Uh, he, John Lennon was the man that was leading all of the innocents to their doom. Uh, uh, but he was also punishing and saving John Lennon. Because mm-hmm. that's the other thing, too. It's saving him from his own reputation by assassinating him and making him a martyr and doing the whole thing. So it's very, com- right. obviously, it's very complicated and yeah. fucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, none of it makes any sense because he was a very mentally ill man. Right. There's not going to be a lot, like, the logic is going to fall apart yeah. very quickly. Well, naturally, he had a, a little person counsel. Uh, that was, <laughs> yes. So, yes. 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 Yeah, well, I yeah. understand. Well, you know, anybody who suffers from mental illness, like, you know that the thoughts in your head, like, you know, deep, you know, they're not logical. Like, you know that the things that you're thinking and you know the the fears that you have, you know, it's not logical. You know, it doesn't make any sense, but you can't stop them at the same time, you know, unless you get help. And Mark David Chapman never got help. Hmm. Uh, Mark David Chapman, it wasn't until he was sitting in the back of the police car watching cops actually carry John Lennon's body out of the Dakota did he know that he was truly and completely fucked. 
And it wasn't just that he knew his life was over. He was afraid that um, they were going to kill him in prison. He was afraid oh, that yeah. the cops were going to kill him because he immediately was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, please don't hurt me, please don't hurt oh, me. My God. Well, immediately, well, they took him aside. They had to throw, they had to throw two uh, bulletproof vests on him. And so he's sitting in this answer. They're running him back and forth trying to get him to the police station because as word went out that John Lennon was killed, people mobbed the area. And, I mean, he was the most hated man in the world. Yeah. Like, and so there was a moment when he said that he was with a cop alone. They had been ushering him back and forth and trying to get him back to the jail. And this cop is sitting there in a moment of silence. And he finally looks at him. He's like, why the fuck did you do this? Like got into it's like, oh, see, like all of these Beatles fans that were cops. Mm-hmm. They're also like surrounding him and jailers. that were cops right. and other criminals. I mean, jailers that were Beatles fans and other criminals who were Beatles fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and Mark David Chapman kept like casually mentioning to people like, you know, I I I actually like the Beatles. Thank you. <laughs> you know, that oh, means good. a lot. You know, that goes a long way. Uh, he's like, I'm a Beatles fan, really. That's yeah. not what this is. The, that's not what this is about. It's like that's where Beatles started. It's like a horrible. <laughs> it's like when people post horrible things on Reddit, and then like the eighth line in. By the way, thanks for all the defenders on Reddit. So many people are very nice, but then like eight things in, they're like, I am a fan. It's yeah. like, well, you don't sound like a fan. Yeah. You sound like a jackass. <laughs> No, the thing was is that when Mark David Chapman was getting processed and all of this, like his lawyers were like, "So you're going to do an insanity defense, right?" Yeah, that's what we're doing. Uh, I have to, I have to refer back to my legal counsel. <laughs> Little people, please come in. Uh, they have told me no. Well, the <laughs> they have told me no. The funny thing was is that one of the little people did actually show up. A, a, a partic- lawyer in his pocket. A particularly loyal <laughs> minister named Robert. Robert came back, and Robert was literally just said, um. You know you're fucked, right? Oh, <laughs> like, it was like a, yeah, told yeah, his you. fantasy didn't even help him. He's like, you, you oh don't understand, God. right? That how you're is fucked. this? Like, no one's no one's gonna help you here. You're gonna get the chair. His fantasy is more rational than he is. Yes, it's such a straight. That is so weird to me. Which makes you wonder if the fantasy is even that real. This is my problem. I think that it's a constant divide. I think there is a really a hard time to get to the truth here because I don't know what is fake and what is not because a part of it was there was a big lead up to get him an insanity plea and then somewhere in the middle of it and he's telling them about the little people because every psycho because all of this comes from every psychologist in the world asking him why did you shoot John Lennon he's, right. he's telling him all these stories and shit and then finally though, at the very end during his sentencing he jumps his own lawyers and pleads guilty because what he said I was going to use the pulpit or whatever it is I'm going to use the, the, the stand to tell everyone to read Catcher in the Rye. And so he pleaded guilty and then read a passage from Catcher in the Rye, which is the passage of catching the children as they fall over the cliff. And they're all like, technically, this makes you crazy. Right, <laughs> like, technically, right, right. <laughs> if, if this was just a large marketing ploy for the 20th anniversary of Catcher in the Rye, John <laughs> Lennon storms back into the courtroom and says, you gotta buy the book. Uh, that would be awesome. Like, what? what? <laughs> yeah, because he said he was going to plead not guilty and use that and just constantly talk about Catcher in the Rye and then Catcher in the Rye would be in the news constantly. But he said God himself got a hold of him and yep. said, you need to plead guilty. You know, the Mark, cra- uh, hey, don't mean to bother you. Um, just want you to know, um, I think this is a really good time to plug the book. <laughs> like, Wait a second, do you work for Penguin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God works for Penguin. You know, the craziest <laughs> thing is he might have gotten off. Hinkley got off, the guy who shot Reagan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on a, he just went to a home. He went to a, a hospital. And you know what uh, Hinkley was inspired by? 
Catch on the right. Catch on the right. And Mark David Chapman specifically. He was the reason why. He shot Reagan to avenge John Lennon's death. That's what he was. It's a whole other side plot where he was inspired to be a a good guy and murder the problem who was Reagan. And then uh, to also to try to get Jodie Foster to fall in love with him. Right, right. I kind of get why J.D. Salinger sort of just like slunk into the trees like that uh, <laughs> that Homer Simpson gif. Uh-huh. After like two people are shot based on your book, I get just like, I'm going to the woods. Yeah. You know what, guys? It was a fucking book. Yeah, that must have been very scary. That must have been I can't horrifying imagine that. for him. I can't imagine just being an author and have that happen to you. And then all of a sudden you are. I mean, he obviously he was also a weird, uh, terrible man. But this just a, your your art is making people pop off. Yeah, it's crazy. That's that, kind of insane. Yeah, totally. So Mark David Chad. Chapman put in the guilty plea that gave him 20 years to life, up for parole in 2000. But shit did not go easy for Mark David Chapman after his sentencing. No, because think about it too. The last time, if he had just been crazy and put into a mental institution, remember the last time he was in a mental institution? He what about bobbed himself up to working for the fucking place. (laughs) It's like he could have done it. Yeah, he could have done it, but he was too crazy to plead to to the insanity plea. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But the thing was is that for years after that, the only person who made life hard for Mark David Chapman was Mark David Chapman. Hmm. Over the next five years, Chapman would claim, quote unquote, demon possession. And of course, he acted accordingly. While awaiting transfer to Attica, Chapman took off all his clothes and destroyed his cell while spouting gibberish to try to call down the demons. He, he made a real production of it. Yeah. He was uh, obviously, um, now again, he's just immediately back to searching for attention. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and he even tried, like, sicken demons on his neighbor. His neighbor was this guy, he was the, uh, they called him the Phantom of the Opera Killer. His name was Craig Crimmins. They called him the Phantom of the Opera Killer because he was a stagehand who had murdered a young violinist at the Metropolitan Opera. Oh, okay. Very interesting. I want to cover that story. That's a good little mini story. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, it's a small one because, I mean, the whole story, I mean, he's a, he was a stagehand, fell in love with this girl. He tried asking her out on a date. She said no, so he fucking pushed her out out of the rafters. Not quite as romantic as the Phantom of the Opera, I have to say. <laughs> no, 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 no soundtrack. It is very scary to be a woman. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. But Crimmins, instead of, like, and all he did was just light cigarettes and flicked him at his naked body, <laughs> just burning him. Uh, and then eventually he got sick of that and just like, get me out of here. Please, can I get a transfer? Hmm. Well, he kept being like, you're going to murder me again, Craig. You're going to murder me again. Like acting like he is the lady and shit. And finally, yeah, he was like, get the fuck out of here. And so he's going ape shit. Mark is saying he's like, like fake season out and like doing all this stuff. So they did a fun little thing where they pumped him full of a drug called st- Stelazine. Stelazine, yeah. Stelazine. It was a powerful antipsychotic, and it causes para- in a weird reaction. It caused him paralysis of his head, throat, and voice to the point where every single time he fucked up and he was acting like a crazy person, they were like, "Do you want to get some Stelazine again?" He's like, "Well, you know, I feel so much better. better just better. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel, I feel better." Wow. <laughs> but still, for the next few years, Mark went back and forth between being normal and suddenly being. Possessed by demons. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he would act so erratically that they would have to hospitalize him. Yeah, dude. They dropped the hammer on him quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And he put on a good show, too. Like, once in 1982, when he was being put into a van for transport to the mental hospital, uh, he started yelling, Just so you know, this is the new Mark. I'm rated X. Watch out. I'm very 
very bad. <laughs> I want to steal that. Like, this is the new Marcus. I'm rated X. Oh, wow. Very bad. Yeah. <laughs> very bad indeed. Then, when he got to the hospital, he was so violent, they put him in a straight jacket. And, he, of course, he was fucking, he was trying to get out of it, so they just grabbed him by his hair and pulled him down the hallway by his hair. Okay. And in response to that, he yelled, Pull it all out. I love it. Yank it. I love this. Yank it out. Hmm. Doesn't seem enjoyable, though. <laughs> and pretty soon after that, Chapman was acting up, so they pulled down his pants as a nurse brought out a needle to inject him with some medication or another, and to this, Chapman yelled, You break that needle off in my ass. You break it off in there. Just stick it up there and you break it off. I know that's what you want to do. You break it off, my snapping ass pussy. I got a <laughs> snapping ass pussy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> But in 1985, Chapman says he finally got rid of the quote-unquote demons after a series of prison exorcisms. Oh. But. Yes. I don't even want to know what a prison exorcism is, (laughs) and uh, nor should we discuss it. Well, here's what a prison exorcism is. It's uh, it's a solo venture. Oh, okay, good. I thought it might be, I I thought it might happen in the showers. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, how he did in, uh, how he did his prison exorcism uh, is that. None of the priests were allowed to come in, so he set up a prearranged date and time with a minister who was on the outside, and so the minister would pray for Mark David Chapman while Mark David Chapman was doing his own exorcism <laughs> on himself. Just cut to the minister just eating the new McDonald's like chicken sandwich, just being like, mm, this is really good. What time is it? Ah, oh, that's right, the exorcism. Well, it doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> yeah, but he said it was easier because they didn't actually possess him. They were just kind of latching on to him. Oh, like they I didn't, see. Yeah, because yeah, yeah and let him go. It was catch and release. Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Yes, he said the final expectoration of the demons came when he vomited seven evil spirits out of his mouth, and they evaporated into the walls of the prison, never to be seen again. All right. Yeah, so now he's great. Now he's healthy. Now, one thing we've heard over the years, and one thing that we've actually talked about on the last couple, couple episodes a lot, is that nobody's really been able to diagnose just what illness Mark David Chapman suffered from. But Henry has a theory. In the documentary, The Dangerous Son, there was one kid in there that had a, he was very sweet boy, but he was, uh, he had a form of autism and also a form of a thing that they called a schizoid personality disorder, which is something I've never really heard of. It obviously sounds very vague because it, it is purposefully vague. It's kind of made to be someone who is a dissociative personality. And it was a t- this kid was, he suffered from uh, autism. And when he'd reach emotional peaks, the schizoid personality disorder would cause him to break from reality. He'd have visual and audio, audio hallucinations, and he would become homicidal slash suicidal. I think that there's something in there because I, I don't know whether or not because I try to really look up if Mark David Chapman had autism or if they discovered it after the fact. I know that there are we'll, we'll, Marcus had a breakdown but I, I think I'm somewhere with it but I don't know and obviously I am not a psychologist, <laughs> but None it just sounded are. right. Yeah, it's. I mean, I mean, we can look at some of the signs, like as far as the autism goes. Like Chapman checks a couple of boxes here. You know, he gets upset over minor changes. He, uh, when he was a kid, he would rock his body back and forth constantly. Uh, he'd have trouble understanding other people's feelings. Not to mention the whole obsessive interest thing. Hmm. Yes, and then there's the schizoid personality disorder, which, like Henry says, it's very vague, and there are some uh, parts of schizoid personality disorder that are the complete opposite of what Mark David Chapman had in his life because it's not a narcissist.
narcissist. It's not necessarily like a narcissist thing, but you know, it's vague. And there's actually a lot of people, a lot of psychiatrists say like, no, nah, actually that doesn't exist at all. It shouldn't even be in the DSM. Mm. Uh, it's just them trying to figure out what to say to somebody who pops off. Who like, like, what do you say to someone who does has these things? Right. Yeah. It's like, it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, well, we don't really know how to fix it. So it's schizoid personality disorder is kind of like, uh, it's a catch all. It's like, you're fucked. What psychiatrist? I've been paying you a lot of money. You could have gotten to that a little earlier. <laughs> Thank you. I, so I'm fucked. That's it? Official yeah. diagnosis. Well, some of the signs of that is uh, like he'd choose solitary activities. Like remember when he was uh, in the mental hospital the first time, they said that he would sit there and he would fantasize about going to prison. He's like, I could just go to prison. I could be alone. And that would be fine. That would be great. Uh, uh, he also had little or no interest in sexual experiences. Uh, you know, he, had the, he was afraid of the warm wetness. Uh, uh, he showed emotional detachment. And he had an elaborate, exclusively internal fantasy world. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So there are some boxes on here. Yeah, He checks on, on both of these. So it's, you know, like Mark David Chapman. I mean, he, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I think, it's very, I think it's very interesting. I think Henry really hit something cool on this one. Yep. Um, I'm going to say something ain't right. Something ain't right. Something ain't right. Something ain't right. That is for sure. But all this shit still didn't stop his wife from loving him. As soon as Chapman was transferred to Attica, Gloria moved there yep, and still lives there to this day where they are allowed one conjugal visit per year. She is still with him. Wow. And so far, Chapman has rightly been denied parole nine times. Okay. Mostly due to the efforts of Yoko Ono. And he has given multiple explanations for his crimes over the years, but one tends to stand out. Chapman said at one point that he had an epiphany that he killed John Lennon so people would read Catcher in the Rye, which is just about the only way he could give his crime even a little bit of purpose. But really, Mark David Chapman was just one more asshole who couldn't make anything, so he had to destroy someone who did, all to make himself feel better about his place in the world. All right, Mark David Chapman. Interesting stuff. It's horrifying. In his last um, parole hearing in 2016, he finally admitted that he did it all for attention. Yeah. Wow. Which is, they took till now. It took the 2016 for him to say something like that. That even made sense. Yeah, this one's, and that, that makes all the sense. Like, he, yeah, does, that but, makes a lot of sense. But, but there's a lot of but other it's, things, too. It's a huge action just to get fucking, just to get attention. Like, I mean, yeah. obviously, you have to be very ill to think that's what you have yeah, to do. Yeah, you could also be, like, attention. a mystery pooper type. And then be <laughs> like, I hope they bust me soon, like that vice principal. <laughs> well, oh, my God. <laughs> and you also got to ask yourself, it's like, but is he just saying that as something else to try? Because right, he's yes. tried something else. Eight, he tried another, other explanations eight other times. And he's like, I want to get out of prison. Maybe if I just say I did it for the reason why they think I did it. So maybe if I try that, right. then maybe that'll work. With people like this, you just don't fucking know. And we're never going to know. Nope. And I, I would assume he's just going to die in prison. Yeah. The only uh, thing we Maybe can, he gets very sick and they let him out do one of those type yeah. things if it mashes up with a parole. But Yoko would have to die. Yeah. Yoko would have to um, die for him to get out of jail. Yeah. yeah. All and, right. I well, mean, fast. This one is really scary. Yeah. This I mean, one's really yeah. scary. Really, I mean, the only thing, like, we're never really going to know, but, like, the point of telling this story is that, you know, there were signs that things were wrong with Mark David Chapman. Yeah. Uh, there say. were quite a few. There were signs to, you know, his coworkers, signs to his wife, signs everywhere uh, that something was wrong with this guy. Uh, and so if someone's showing these sorts of signs, reach out. 
Call somebody. But how do you do that with, it's really hard with family. How do you say the hard word to somebody of like, you're scaring me, that there's something about their, their, your activity is scaring me. You have to be able to, to have, make those calls and and say to someone, be able to be honest enough with somebody being like, I really want you to get help. And it's not because I hate you or because I'm judging you. It's because uh, you're going to become a danger to yourself or to other people. That's what the dangerous son is all about that, about how like, what do you do? when you have to like give your kid up to the fucking state where you look look at this kid and be like you are dangerous you're my you're my child but you are very scary yeah we've had to deal with that a lot with foster care you got to make hard choices mm-hmm. uh, once they get uh, big enough and uh, mature it's it's very dangerous yes it is yeah but then again then they just become a recluse like jd salinger and then they just end up it's 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 almost impossible that's mental health as a solution is such a broad vague idea that it's it's just it's thrown around so willy-nilly yeah. but it's really in, almost impossible in a lot of ways but um but there is it you can't you can't do it yeah yeah you can you can't i've been good you for can get help 13 years now yeah, yeah. look yeah, at that yeah. just 100 yeah, yeah. saying hey. marcus hasn't marcus hasn't freaked out at all <laughs> at all hey man you have no idea what i would be like or what i used yeah. to be like i'm just glad i'm solid as a rock <laughs> yeah all of us yeah completely. both the, yeah because both you guys Lock you really box. are such great examples to me, yeah, yeah. Uh, stalwart. People say I'm stalwart. People say I'm. Well, I'm the rock uh, of this group, as we know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. Fascinating, great research, guys. Unbelievable story. Really, a lot more to that than uh, than I expected. That's yeah. for sure. Um, yeah. Let's see. I want to number one. Thank you, everyone, to came, uh, who came out on Tuesday night to the Echoplex. Yeah. We did two sold out shows. It was the first time running them, and unlike, um, I we are not extremely depressed. <laughs> Which is good. It yes. worked out. It was the first time ever saying those words on a stage, and we didn't know what those words were even going to be. And uh, it was we're really getting there. So I think we got a fun new live show, and uh, hopefully we can see you folks at Clusterfest here coming up in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be announcing we uh, are very close to booking a big show in July. Uh, we hope to be announcing that next week, and we also hope to have a few more dates for everyone yep. uh, coming up here very soon. But there will be another show announced uh, next month. Sorry we can't... Uh, uh, sorry we're not able to come out and do as many live shows as we were able to last year, but, you know, the book uh, is really, it, it's taken up a ton of time, but it's going to be worth but it. But also, guys. no, when that book is done, we're going to be going on a very extensive tour. Yes. Like, yep. once that book is done, we'll be going on a very extensive tour, taking it everywhere, all different sorts of spots. It's a, a, I'm really excited. Also, um, if you get a chance this weekend to check out the John Wayne Gacy art exhibit at Lethal Amounts, it was pretty incredible. I think it's sold out because somebody sent a maybe. link. I think all the tickets are uh, gone there, but mm. I don't know. Maybe not. Who knows? Um, all all right, everyone. Let's see. Uh, thank you all so, so much for giving to our Patreon. We really appreciate it. Without you, none of this is possible. Um, and is there anything else we want to talk about? No, no, no. Just can't. Uh, f- Follow us on all our bullshit yeah. at Twitter uh, at Henry Loves You at Marcus Parks at Ben Kissel. Follow us on Instagram at Dr. Fantasy at Marcus Parks at Ben Kissel, the number one. And follow us on the infiltrated social medias that uh, control your thoughts. Yeah, get at off LP of, on the left. Yeah, break those sometimes. You got to break the stream there mm-hmm. sometimes because uh, folks are drowning. Uh, as a matter of fact, Henry made a great point how the internet is our subconscious and naturally there are just so many depressed people and the internet is basically just a reflection of that mm-hmm. um, of that depression. which is so yeah of that depression which that's why every time you go on it you're happy and then every time you leave you're depressed yep it's just every yes. fucking time every is, time and we i just constantly we all just fall into the same fucking trap constantly I, get the fuck off that bullshit i never come away from the internet feeling good isn't that crazy so, so you know you're not alone in that yeah. so yeah. three men three men that have made their living on the internet 
yeah. also are hurt by it. But you know uh, what I constantly. But you know what I come back feeling good from? Podcast apps. Oh, yeah. there it is. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> come back learning something. Absolutely. Um, all right, everyone. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Elgin. Magustalations. Hail me. Don't bother Satan. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 